Welcome back to Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan F. Another fantastic day for an interview. And we are coming close to 200 interviews. So it's it's really a sort of another two. And then we have we've we've got a big number there, which is quite nice. It's exciting. Um, it is, I, I love my show and I meet so many fantastic guests. It is so humbling for me. So it's 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 a great life. I love it to bits. And indeed, today is no exception. I have got Dinesh Palipana with me. Dinesh is a colleague from Australia. I've promised we will not hold it against him. But, you know, being a Kiwi from now and then, we have to, you know, discuss that with them. But anyhow, so Dinesh is on my show here today. Now, Dinesh, whilst I make jokes about our, our the usual kind of Kiwi, Aussie kind of relationship, um, Dinesh is a force of nature. He is an amazing man. And it's it's rare that I actually give all the accolades, but I have discussed with Dinesh that in his case, I have to do that. So here it goes. And uh, forgive me that I don't look into the camera, but actually I need to read that. There's no way I could have ever remember, uh, memorized any of that. So Dinesh was the first quadriplegic medical intern in Queensland and the second person to graduate medical school with quadriplegia in Australia. Dinesh is a doctor, lawyer, disability advocate, and researcher. Halfway through medical school, he was involved in a motor vehicle accident that caused a cervical spinal cord injury. Dinesh has completed an advanced clerkship in radiology at Harvard University. As a result of his injury and experiences, Dinesh has become an advocate for inclusivity. He is a founding member of Doctors with Disabilities Australia, Dinesh works in the emergency department at a Gold Coast University Hospital. He's a senior lecturer at the Griffith University and adjunct research fellow at the Menzies Health Institute of Queensland. He's a researcher in spinal cord injury. He is a doctor for the Gold Coast Titans physical disability rugby team. Dinesh is a senior advisor to the Disability Royal Commission. Dinesh was the Gold Coast Hospital and Health Services Junior Doctor of the Year in 2018, and he was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia in 2019, and he was the third Australian to be awarded a Henry Viscardi uh, Achievement Award. Dinesh was the Queensland Australian of the Year for 2021. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's all I can say, man. <laughs> it is, I'm, I'm absolutely honored to have you on my show. And it is amazing where you have come to. And uh, we will explore all that energy that you have got now. But I wonder, was that ever on the cards? When you were a young boy, what did you want to be? Who did you want to be when you grow up? None of this was ever ever on the cards i mean my life is unimaginable if i if i went back and told my younger self that we'd be doing this today and talking about these things i would have thought out yeah thought that was crazy <laughs> <laughs> when i was growing up i mean i had you know um often think and talk about finding out purpose and finding out why I was, I was actually really um, encouraged when he said that you love your life and you love what you do um, when you're doing the introduction. And I actually feel the same way. Like I love life and I love what I get to do. 
But I think a part of that is actually finding purpose and finding our why and finding our, our reason. So I didn't find that for a very long time. And when I was a kid, I wanted to, I wanted to do all sorts of different things. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to, wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to play music. I wanted to play basketball. I had all these different ideas, um, but they were just fleeting things. I think that um, weren't a particular passion. Um, so a bunch of different thoughts. Um, and I remember, I think when I was finishing school, like I was, there were so many different things I was thinking about, but nothing where I said, this, this is my purpose. This is my why. So no, it, this is a unimaginably different path to what I ever imagined. <laughs> what tickled your fancy with medicine? How did you get into the, the medicine, uh, in itself? Yeah, that's so. Uh, when I finished high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, actually, so recently, I was um, at a I was um, at a function with some lawyers, and I said I didn't have a purpose or a reason, so I decided to study law. <laughs> oh. Just having a jab. Ouch. Just having a jab. Just having a jab. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, I, I didn't really appreciate what um, the law was back then because it's yeah. such an important thing. It's the fabric of um, our society. It's how we exist. It's how we navigate life. So law is an incredibly important thing. But back then I just thought when I finished high school, I thought I'd be able to wear a suit. I'll be able to work in a building, earn some money, drive a nice car perhaps, like all these lawyers walking around the city look like they're, pretty impressive people. Um, and so that, that was really like, I mean, it wasn't a very uh, deeply thought out decision, but I started studying law after I finished school. And, uh, you know, you know, when you start living uh, life and you have the core of you, you have this person and you have you, But you start to add all these different layers outside of it. And over a period of time, you just lose who you are. And you're suddenly just living this life, uh, going about the routine of the world and society. Yeah. And you suddenly don't know who you are anymore. And you've lost yourself. I think I was getting to a point like that. So I started to uh, experience depression. And... It was, I've spoken to a few people about depression, particularly of late, because in our profession, as you know, it's a pervasive thing. And what strikes me is that a lot of people say that it creeps up on you and it's, it's just bubbling away there until one day you realize it when it's quite advanced. So I was the same. I started to feel low over a period of time. And then I started to feel flat, stopped enjoying the things I used to. My sleep patterns changed, like all these things. And then um, started getting anxious. So like if I was sitting here talking to you today, I'd just be on the edge. I'd just be feeling just off, feeling weird, feeling like, something's wrong with my body or something bad was going to happen. And then these things would just, 
snowball into panic attacks. I developed panic disorder where I was just having panic attacks all the time. Panic attacks are, are a, they are quite something. You know, I see people in the emergency department these days with it, but yeah, you know, I think the classic thing is I thought I'm, I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack or something yeah. like that. But, so I started having panic attacks and it got to a point where I was afraid to go outside the house. So it's agoraphobic. And this was an incredibly dark period of my life. And today I have a spinal cord injury and I have paralysis as a result of spinal cord injury. But I also have the um, retrospect to compare depression with having physical paralysis. And what I know for myself is that uh, the depression was far more paralyzing than the spinal cord injury has been. Because when you're a prisoner of your mind, um, you are truly, truly paralyzed. So anyway, um, my world was very different. My world was very dark. My world was very scary. My world was very uncertain. And then I started to see a doctor and I started to, um, I, ended, I went to an emergency department a couple of times and whatever else and started to come out of this. But um, what I realized over that period of time, and it's something that my mom likes to say, is that when I started to emerge from this process, um, I, my, my whole world changed and I was a different person. My mom says that by helping a person, you may not change the world, but you'll change the world for them. And so I thought, what if I could do that for someone, just like my doctor has done for me? And that is how I found my purpose, medicine. How cool is that? How cool is that? And how beautiful is that? Uh, that is, so you had that insight and that, that strength from a very early, uh, early time there. So about mid twenties, you would have been when the, uh, when you had finished law. Uh, so you had finished law studies completely. You had cool. And what did your mom say when you said, Oh, by the way, actually now I become a doctor. <laughs> how did that go down? <laughs> I, my mom is, um, you know, I think in our lives, we've always, we, we've, I'm sure we've all had people that have said that our dreams are too big or our ideas are too ambitious or yeah. um, we have to be realistic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we've had people. My mom was the opposite of that. So my mom, mom was never one of those people. Yeah. And I'll be Yes, and I've been very lucky to have someone who um, has always encouraged me to pursue my dreams and always encouraged me to um, dream big and um, taught me to understand that uh, no dream is too big. So that was it. And she was like, okay, great. Go. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and and that is that is essentially she probably has seen the darkness in your eyes 
she has seen that emptiness in you and for a mum and for a female who's far more perceptive as far as non-verbal communication goes, my goodness, it would have been torture for her to see you and to suddenly for you to actually come back with a purpose and a light is going on behind his eyes. Wow, that must have been one of the most beautiful things for her. I got goosebumps now. <laughs> so it is, it is beautiful. So did you then consider, did you already dream ahead and sort of think, oh, well, you might go into psychiatry or psychology or, or things like that? Or was medicine just any medicine? I want to help people. Yeah, at that time, I just thought, you know, I want to... I just wanted to be a doctor and help people. I didn't really have any um, any particular specialty that I was interested in. I always liked the idea of emergency and trauma, actually, because um, it's when someone is uh, most vulnerable, it's when someone's going through a very, very hard time. And it's it's like, you know, it's, it's those uh, sharp, pointy-end moments time critical, mm. life-changing suddenly. Mm. So I always like the idea of that just being there um, at that moment. But no, not particularly. Um, I didn't I didn't really. Mm. I just want to help people. As cliched as that sound, you know, like people say, oh, that's, that sounds really cliche, but it's the truth. Same holds true for me. Same holds true for me. I initially thought uh, I would really like to be a vet. And then a friend tracked me along to St. John's uh, in Germany, St. John's and, and similar organizations are quite strong, have got quite a youth, youth group attached to it. So I became sort of a junior kind of, of uh, medic and then very soon found myself on, on ambulances and, and covering big venues and stuff like that. And it was exciting. And suddenly there was there was no more doubt. I actually loved this helping and I wanted to become a doctor. So, so I know exactly where you came from. Um, and this, this is just a vague idea. Um, nowadays, I'm an anesthetist and I know how I got to that point. But certainly when you're in the middle at the start of your or in the middle of your studies, I had no idea. Um, you get exposed to so many different subdisciplines, and I found them all interesting. I, uh, there were very few that bored the hell out of me, and so it is. I could see myself in everything, um, but ultimately, like you, the sharp, pointy end. You know, that's the anesthetist as well. If somewhere shit hits the fan, well, they call you for trauma, or they call the anesthetist for intensive care issues, or for for the labor epidural, etc. It is it is all that kind of thing. So there is that can be a quite an addictive uh, kind of of uh, job subspeciality. <laughs> Were you always a man who who liked the adrenaline? Were you yourself a, a an adrenaline junkie? Doing doing okay. I don't know <laughs> base jumping or something like that. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, I think as I've, um, uh, as I've uh, matured, I've become more of an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> when I was younger, not so much, but as time's gone on, um, I've become more and more accustomed to that. <laughs> and it, it's a funny thing. I, I'm not sure why that is. Like, I think when I was a kid, I was definitely not, not like that. 
Um, and even when I was a teenager, I mean, a little bit. But yeah, it took me a while to sort of embrace that and live on the edge a little bit. I guess live on the edge can also be defined as to really live because we have seen the darkness. So therefore, once you're in the darkness, you do take the light no longer for granted. And you actually go out there and you seek life and you want to taste it, you want to feel it, you want to, you want to ah, uh, experience it. And that might be as simple as, as touching somewhere a bark on a tree, or it might be as, as exhilarating as any kind of adrenaline sport. So it is us being addicted to life. And that is a bloody good addiction to have. The last time I checked, I, I had a few others. They were not so cool. Okay. So that's really, really nice. So yeah, you know what? That's a that's a really good point. I've never thought about it like that. That that is true. Um a friend of mine recently said that, oh, you've just you just uh got to squeeze every drop out of life. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, totally. lo- Life is too short, and and we are. I, I I take it as a blessing. All my my past, and there were some very traumatic moments there. But uh, ultimately, thinking, uh, would I go back and would I change anything? I don't think I would. Mm-hmm. I because I would have never become the man that I am now, who is happy and content and loves himself, warts and all. I would have never been that. I was a very broken person in the past. And changed that, I don't think I would have I would have changed. I would have I would have become something different, but with its own set of problems. So no. And virtually all of my guests, all those nearly 200, when I asked them, would you go back? Not a single one would go back and change. That's an intriguing one. So we all have loved the transformation, however painful it was. Um, it is a beautiful thing, a really beautiful. But we are not even at year at year. Well, mind you, actually, we are already at the transformation because there was the first darkness, the first dark night or many dark nights that you have had. How long was your depression? How long did it last? What would you say? I'd probably, I would probably say like somewhere between a year or two. Uh, uh, and that just shows shows how mean it is, isn't it? It's sort of slippery and comes in. You don't recognize it. It doesn't hit you like something on the head. And you say, shit, what's that? No, it's it's getting darker and darker and darker. And you just don't see it. Yeah, and I think that anxiety is the worst thing, you know, like oh. you could probably you could probably even um you could probably even get away with feeling low or flat. But for me, it was the anxiety that was just torturous, just feeling edgy all the time and the panic attacks. That was the. Was, it, was, all, was it all the time or, or, you know, how would you, how long were these panic attacks for you? I think the panic attacks would last like, I mean, it was variable, but uh-huh. it could be like an hour or two or yeah. whatever. Um, uh, that's a lot of torture. Yeah, and it was like multiple times a day or every day or it, it was going on. And, and yeah. in amongst that, you just I was just feeling anxious all the time. Um, and I think that that was that was just that was torture. Do you want to be relaxed, right? You just want to 
feel relaxed and you want to feel uh, just, and I, I would never felt that during that time. Were you angry? Was resentment part uh, of your part of your makeup? No, I don't think I was resentful or angry. I was just um, no, I was just just flat. And, mm. No, there was nothing that I had to be resentful about. You know? And how interesting is that? Because I had depression, I had anxiety. Yet for me, the predominant thing was was anger and resentment, and it just shows what a chameleon depression can be, because there are so many different nuances of it, and sometimes you just don't see it, because it it hides itself so well in your normal fabric, or you find good excuses why you are a bit more ratty or why you're a bit flat, and ah, oh, we just don't want to. We just often can't see it. And then when it becomes blatantly obvious, we don't want to see it. <laughs> Was there, did you feel shame? Did you feel guilt around that? Maybe, maybe a tiny bit of shame. Mm -hmm. uh, not a lot of guilt. Embarrassment, yeah. maybe disconnected. Uh. Were you yeah. were you afraid that it would come out or that it would somehow negatively affect uh, your career? No, I don't think so. I mean, I was, I think I was just like, my world was really small. Like it had, it had closed in and I was just inside it running around in circles. So right. I couldn't really see outside. Like come to think of it, you know, I didn't really think about The career, I didn't really think about much else. I was just in this, in this little dark place, just on a hamster wheel. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's a pretty good description, isn't it? And you just can't see, can't see any light. It's a hamster wheel in complete darkness. And yeah, I felt like that. I, I, my GP sent me at one stage, sent me to a psychologist, and. When he asked me, well, how did that feel like? I sort of compared it to, to driving along a very, very dark road. And there are houses that are all dark. And from now and then you see a little bit of a light coming out of sort of a, a door that is ajar or a window where the curtain's not all closed. You never see it fully. You just get an idea. Yes, there could be some light and then you're gone. And it's that's the darkness. So you, 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 there was always the hope that you find something, some brightness, some happiness, some joy, and it didn't come. Mm. So, so did you try to numb it? Did you try to numb that? How did alcohol feel for you when you had uh, these panic attacks? Yeah, that that's also been interesting. I mean. Um... I have never, um, like whatever substances, I grew up in Byron Bay, which is a small uh, seaside town. Well, it's not too small anymore, but mm. it's known for the practice of herbal medicines and other. <laughs> the, the five leaf uh, herbal medicines? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so when I was a kid, like I experimented, you know, when I was in high school, 
Um, it was the same with alcohol. Like I've tried, but I've never, all of those things I've tried like once, twice, maybe. And um, I've never felt like, even now, like I don't really, I don't drink. Um, really rarely I might have a glass of wine or be like once every three or four months. Mm. But it doesn't really do anything for me. Um, and it never has really. So I've, I've never, I, I don't, I don't know. Like for me, I think the big thing was just trying to distract myself. I used to just either um, read books or watch, watch TV or like just tune out. Mm. And I think that was my way of escaping all that. Um, so yeah, that, that was really like just being in my room and just tuning away into another world. Isolating. That's right. Escaping that way. And of all the escapes that you could have chosen, that's probably one of the healthiest ones. <laughs> Although isolation, you could argue is not a good thing, uh, by any stretch of, of the imagination. Uh, having said that the alternatives to throw yourself into uh, this self-destructive behavior and and do suicide in installments um, that heavy alcoholism is or drugs are. Yeah, I'm pleased for you that you were not that super dopamine responder who had, you know, two glasses of wine and said, wow, this is cool. And suddenly your life changes forever. I'm really pleased for you because it's bad enough to have depression, uh, to have depression, trauma, anxiety, and then have that false friend of alcohol. Potent, potent uh, powder keg waiting to go kaboom. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, mm. closest thing I come to is chocolate, really. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> Everything in moderation, including yeah. moderation. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> so you got yourself out of that. Who helped you? How did you ultimately realize that you were in trouble? I think, oh, man, this is... This is a thing like I wonder how many people are out there with no insight because I had no insight for the longest time. I didn't know I was depressed for a long time. Mm. Like I didn't know what was going on with me. I actually did not know what was going on with me. Like I had no clue that there was even something wrong for the longest time. You know, around that time, I had a friend And my friend was a very successful person with a successful marriage, a beautiful house, a high-profile job. And um, I always looked up to this friend and I thought, um, I looked at them and I thought, wow, like that's a pretty, pretty good life. And I stopped seeing them for a little while. And then uh, after a period of time, I got a call from them. And they said, oh, I think my employer has tapped my phones. I think they're following me around. I think, um, and so all these, all these extremely paranoid thoughts. And at the time, like at the time, um, I didn't really, I was a law student, so I didn't know what that was. And so, um, I was like, oh, wow, that sounds really serious. And 
it's a little bit weird. I don't know why they'd be doing that, but, but you know, my, my, my friend though, uh, their life fell apart because I'm not sure if anyone around them knew what was going on. It was just subtle enough, like to fly under the radar. So anyway, the point is, I don't know how many people are out there in, in that same situation where I or my friend were, where there's no insight into what is happening. And, um, but after a period of time, um, my GP um, helped. But finding people to share that experience with was a tough thing. I think um, it's easy to become frustrated when you're around someone who's going through something like this. And I think the people around me got frustrated because they're like, oh, God, man, you just need to snap out of it. Like, Yeah, right. Just like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen and heard that, right? Like, why why, why do you feel like, come on, you've got a great life, whatever else. Like, I, it was the same with me. And I, I became very, very, very isolated as a result. So it really just came down to me doing a lot of soul searching and finding myself. And it, it was just through that process that I started to come out of it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Did you see a psychologist or did you have a, a, a life coach or no? So it was just you naturally getting yeah. better? Very luckily, I mm. think. Um, I was lucky to have a steady home and good mom and all that, all those things that, um, helped, mm. but, um, and it was 2000, it was around 2002, 2003. I don't know, thinking back, I don't know how strong the structures around this type of thing was mm. nearly 20 years ago. So yeah. Exactly. Hmm. I'm I'm so pleased for you. That's all I can say. Um, it is uh, I uh, I had a bout of depression. I ended up on on fluoxetine, which helped me tremendously, um, and I didn't have to to fight too hard against any belief systems. My wife had uh, prior to that uh, had nasty postnatal depression. Interestingly enough. Here I was a medical doctor, an anesthetist, pain physician, very much, you know, I could diagnose any kind of, of psychological problem in someone else. Could I see it in my wife? No. Could I see it anything in myself? No. And it's just so bizarre. But it, it, it was what it was. But at least then when, when it became clear to me, I ended up on medications that initially helped. So I was actually... I was pleased. I had then some support. I saw a psychologist. I got a bit better. Um, yeah. But then life, <laughs> life happened. <laughs> life had other ideas with my, with my mental health and with my, uh, with the challenges that it could throw me. But this is not my show. This is your show. So <laughs> Dinesh, here you were, you got your shit together. You got yourself um happy and you 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 had this this change of mind this change of in your soul and said no i want to help other people so you did medicine um how did that then continue your story so um a part of that thought process right was thinking about 
I think one of the um, manifestations of depression is that you think about death a lot. Mm. And I think having the panic attacks and anxiety too, a preoccupation with death. When I was thinking about death, I just um, I, I remember thinking, well, um, what uh, if if that time comes and when that time comes, what uh, what would make me feel like I have lived a worthwhile life, and what would make me feel fulfilled, and what would make me feel like I've got no regrets, and so I was thinking, mm, I wonder what that what that would be, and I, I realized like if I could just help one person, just one, I think my entire life would be worthwhile. If you could make an impact on one kid's life or one person or something. And so I thought being a doctor is a great way to do that. You know, like um, you, you can have that impact and you can play a part in someone's journey daily. So that was a part of the reason um, that I thought um and uh Grey's Anatomy the guys were getting all these girls and <laughs> were you McDreamy yeah. <laughs> shit we need to talk that, that is a counseling session in its own right come on <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you I hear you we've got I mean we we all have got these kind of weird kind of visions, dreams, uh, you know, perceptions who you want to be, you know, at, at one stage in your life, you want to be James Bond and other times you want to be more uh, Patch Adams, you know, whatever it is, it, it is. We, we see something and we, we take on features of, of that. So, you know, why not? <laughs> so you went into medical school and uh, you you started your studies. Um, tell us about the accident. Yeah, so medical school was amazing, right? I was loving every minute of it. I knew, I knew that's where I was supposed to be. Life was great. I was happy. I was fulfilled. I was, I knew, you know, when you find your path and you know, when you're, that was me. Like I was just content and I was, Cool. And then um, in 2010, I was 25 years old. Um, 25, yes. 25 years old. And on the 31st of January, 2010, I was driving along a highway in the evening when it had rained earlier through the day. And my car, um, I was running through a dark stretch of road and my car ran over something like it was too late to avoid it. And I, I saw it, it was this either like a water puddle or, a, or some oil or something like that. I just remember seeing it shining on the road. As soon as I hit that, my car lost control and it started spinning and spinning and spinning. And then eventually it went up the side of the road and it, came back down this little hill and started flipping through the air, nose to tail. The car was flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping. And, uh, you know, um, I think uh, that that was my best ever mindfulness moment because I was, <laughs> I was 
hanging upside down in this car that's flying through the air. And I was thinking, I was terrified. And I thought, you have, I have no control over this now. There's nothing I can do. And so I am going to reframe this moment and think of it in, uh, in a positive way. And I'm going to have fun like I'm in a roller coaster. So for the last part of the accident, I'm just having fun. I'm flying around. I'm like, woo. <laughs> and um, then the car landed and everything was silent and the roller coaster ride had finished. And I tried to get out of the car and I couldn't move. And my fingers weren't working anymore. And I couldn't feel anything below the chest. And we both know what that means. And I was uh, far enough into medical school to understand what had happened to me. And the horror. The, oh, I don't know, I just don't know how to describe that feeling. I don't know how to describe that feeling like that sickening feeling to the pit of your stomach. The understanding that your life has changed forever in a way that you never imagined and there's nothing you can do about it. I, I can't, I can't even explain it, but that was it. And I had a spinal cord injury. Was that pain? Um, trust the anesthetist to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spinal cord injuries are bizarre because some, some yeah. are immediately painful, others never painful, and others sort of give you... Right. Uh, sorry, I'm the bloody anesthetist. Of course I ask. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Rate, rate your pain out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> fine taken, fine taken. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, actually, it was completely painless. Yeah, good. So I had a, um, I had a sternal fracture or dislocation. I had a um, big head laceration. Um, but none of it was painful at the time. How long did it last or how long did it take until uh, help arrived? Was it an isolated stretch on the road or were there other, other people well, there? Fortunately, there's a guy driving behind me. Mm. So he pulled over and uh, he held my head until mm. he didn't have a phone on him. Mm. So uh, we're friends now, me and him. Um, we reconnected a couple of years down the track and... When you share a moment like that, right? <laughs> just yeah. So um, he told me I had blood all over him from that. Right? But someone passing by um, saw that and called the ambulance. There's actually a recording of the phone call that I heard a little while ago. So they called the ambulance. Um, the first thing on the scene was a fire truck. The fire truck hits whatever I hit and lost control as well. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. so they fly past the accident. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, they didn't crash, so they were able to come back. They cut me out of the car. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Just a crazy night. Like, that happens. Then an ambulance turns up. I'm in the ambulance. 
And the guy in the ambulance was an emergency physician who had given me a lecture in medical school. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Insane, right? But there you go. It is at least, did you, at least you felt that there was someone who knew you, uh, or at least there was some familiarity there, however scary the moment was and however much horror there was. I can imagine that at least there was a bit of a, of a distraction and a bit of a positive kind of nuance there. Um, it is... Yep. Not just that, it's someone that I had a great deal of respect for. In fact, like when I watched, when I saw him lecturing, I thought emergency medicine is a very, very cool specialty. So, but you know, Stefan, not just that. Um, that night, I think he taught me the most important lesson about medicine. More than any anything I've learned in medical school or elsewhere, um, in in the couple of years that I've been a doctor for now. And that is, um, I don't remember any of the technical things that he did. I don't remember whether he gave me like what kind of analgesia, what kind of painkillers, what kind of mm. what procedures. I don't even remember if I had like, I'm sure I would have, but I, I don't remember if I had any neck collar or whatever. I don't remember any of that. But I remember his manner and I remember how I felt so there's a saying um, that people may not remember what you do for them but they'll always remember how you make them feel and that I think and you know what that is the opportunity that we have every single day to do for someone absolutely and that's what we forget I think like that 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 is such a special thing that we have the opportunity to do for people. So, and I think in medicine, that's that's what he taught me that night. And you know, I'm, 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 I talk about that story all the time. And just the leaving an impact like that on someone—that is, it's incredible. To show empathy and compassion and truly mean it. The simple touch of your hand can be so powerful. The, 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 the way, as you said, it, the way you can make someone to, to, to be at their side, even if you cannot do very much, the sheer fact that you are there can mean so much. And for us as doctors, we sometimes keep forgetting that. Luckily, there are about a third of us who will go through Nasty shit, depression, trauma, nasty injuries. And these are the doctors which get a new insight into our profession. The moment you are lying on that stretcher yourself, you will be a very different doctor afterwards. And I've seen that again and again, and it's beautiful to actually see. I've experienced it myself um, with, with knee problems, et cetera, simple as a knee arthroscopy. But leading up to it, I felt incapacitated, hobbling around and, oh, God, this is not, that's nothing compared with you. But it put me back in my place. It calmed me down. It stopped my cockiness. 
And that is, I think it's it's really good for every doctor to have maybe a colonoscopy every five years or every three years. Just, you know, feel really how the patient feels. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think that would be a really good thing. I've got a lot of people who should have that every fortnight, I think, actually. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, but you're right. You're so right. We have got that power of compassion. And that is what I pride myself in. And I, it comes very clearly out of you. That is the, that is how you practice your medicine as well. And that is that is something that comes because we have seen the darkness. No two ways around that. And that makes us such different doctors. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So, wow. How, so you, you ended up now in the ambulance. You got to the hospital. Um, there were other injuries there that needed to be sorted out. Um, how long were you in hospital? Uh, seven or eight months. Yeah. So, and that obviously yeah. includes the rehabilitation, etc. Mm -hmm. It was a painstaking process. <laughs> I was about to say, my goodness. And there's no painkiller that can help you through that because, yeah, exactly. It is time and you need to learn. Now, for those of us out there who, who don't really know spinal cord injuries, um, whilst a spinal cord injury can be, like in your cases, you said you couldn't feel your finger, you couldn't do anything from the chest down, yet here you are working your hands. Um, I think the reality is with spinal cord injuries, in the first, in the first uh, moments, you don't know what is happening. You don't know what will recover down the line. Um, will there be any other, uh, will there be lasting injury or will that come back and end up in a partial spinal cord injury where you regain some of the function? So that can take days, weeks, months um, before you final, to get the final picture, so to speak. And it all then depends upon how, how good your physiotherapy and re rehabilitation is, because you can teach an old, uh, old dog a lot of new tricks when it comes to muscles, how they can move, how you can learn to move your arms, for example. So there's a whole, a whole development there. But that is that is slow. I mean, you know, <laughs> that is eight months in hospital. How the hell did you keep sane? Um, it was hard because it's not just the physical stuff and it's not just the visible physical stuff. It's like even things like my lung function, mm. Um, the ability to eat, breathe, control my body temperature, mm. so all those things, and then all the social stuff like figuring out money and all the friendships that are falling apart, my mom and dad split, like all those things. There's a lot of stuff going on with trauma. Everything falls apart around you. So how do you keep going? You just, you just keep going. You can't. You've got no choice. You know, uh, have you heard the poem Invictus? Tell me. Okay. It's a, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but Invictus means undefeated. And yep. it's a old poem. And it uh, just talks about um, how someone, it was, it, it was written by this guy. And this is, you'll have to fact check this, but loosely the story is something like he got very sick 
and he was facing amputation. And he says that this was just his journey through those dark times. And he says that um, no matter how difficult the journey is, no matter how dark it is, he is the master of his fate and the captain of his soul. And that he'll, his head will be bloody, but it will not bow. <laughs> and one of my friends hung that poem up by my bedside. So... You're actually, I've just pulled it up. You're actually pretty on the money there. You virtually gave me the last verse there. And it is absolutely beautiful. I knew it of the Invictus Games and the, the title of them from that, but I never realized that there was actually a poem there and uh, how beautiful the poem is. Wow. Now, that was a, a good friend who gave you that. This friend had had how did he know that that would get you going she she yeah it was a she you know in fact i'll, I'll probably give her a call after this <laughs> it's beautiful because there is she she obviously either knew you uh, really well and and or maybe it was the female intuition, this beautiful power. The I don't know if that is the seventh or eighth sense, whatever it is. Sometimes women are just so much better in, in doing exactly that right touch uh, or that right gesture to just keep you going. And I'm so pleased for you. Wow. Uh, you were on the crossroads, literally. Well, actually, you were on the, you, you hit the stop sign. <laughs> you hit the red lights and the red lights were red for a long time. Yeah. Um, when did it start getting green? Um, how did you proceed? What, what were your plans? What could you do? Again, it took years because you could have put together all this other stuff like financially getting back on your feet, like even figuring things like equipment. And yeah. there's a lot of detail that goes into it. On top of that, I had complications, medical complications happening. So after that seven or eight months, I probably spent another four or five months in hospital at various times, intensive care, whatever else. So there was a lot of like ups and downs. But um, over a period of time, have you ever read The Count of Monte Cristo? Oh, very much so. Yeah. So that, that really resonated with me because I thought, okay, I'm imprisoned. I'm, I'm put in a situation where, <laughs> where it is out of my control, but I'm going to come out of this yeah. stronger than ever and better than ever. And I made a commitment to do that. I said, I promise. Yeah. When I come out and when I emerge from this, I'm going to be a better person. I was going to take revenge on everyone and kill them, but I was uh, <laughs> so yeah. a bit different, a bit different to the count. But yeah. um, and so I think once uh, once I made that commitment, once I made that promise to myself, I just 
started to work. And you know, the thing is, Stefan, like I lost friends. You have all these people around you and it was so hard to see these people that were around you all the time, so close to you, mm. fall away, stop responding to your text messages, mm. stop picking up your calls. And that, that was a hard thing to see. But then you also cherish the people that did stick around through the hard times and you learn to value them and love them forever. Um, all these things were really hard and um, you just keep going and you just promise that, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to come out better. I'm going to going to come out of this better person. That helped. You had to bide your time. I had to bide my time. But it's the will to survive. It's the will to, to, to hold on. And that is, if you, if you look at survivors of uh, natural disasters, why do other people let go and drown whilst there's one person that hangs on to that one piece of wood in the sea for, for days and is getting rescued? And it's that will to not give up. And that's so beautiful to hear that coming out of your, out of your voice. It might have not been as obvious in your mind at that time, um, but ultimately that was that that willingness not to give up, and that's and that's I think that that is the fret that keeps now rolling, because once you started getting better, you actually had these these tasks that were basically nearly insurmountable. How do you do it with a, with a, you know, were you officially quadriplegic or was that, how are you labeled? Quadriplegic, so quadri, quattro means four, uh, by, um, uh, um, now my words are leaving me, crikey. Um, so it means basically a high spinal cord injury. And um, it's not easy to get around a medical university because they are not, they're certainly not what, what was it? 2005, they would have not been completely wheelchair accessible. No, 2010, wasn't it? Uh, 2015 when I came back. 2015. Um, so that's actually not so yeah. long ago, but still, that is, I remember my, my university. Yes, there would be ramps uh, for, for some of the lectures, but hell, you know. Uh, well, um, funny thing though, like, I mean, my, every, everyone was great. Like from my university, I had a a lot of amazing academics and lecturers and whatever else. Mm. I'm uh, talking to you from my office in the very same medical school where I am now a lecturer as well. <laughs> so cool. that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell us, so you had the support there. Um, how did the support materialize? Was that... Uh, what was the outstanding thing for you? What were those things which put a smile on your face when you think back? You know, the thing is, we, um, we just need to fight for people. We just need to fight for people. Like, there were people that fought for me. There were people that stood with me. There were people that uh, decided that it was just and correct and worthwhile to help me come back to medical school and get through it. And there were people that believed in that. 
And there were people that were willing to stick their necks out to make that happen. And we have those situations all the time now, don't we? Where we, so I was lucky to have that. I just saw our old Dean wandering around just outside before. Um, and you know, the, I used to study till late, 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 like sometimes like midnight, 1am. And it was here, like just actually this very desk that I'm using right now, it's the desk that I studied to get through med school. <laughs> in. Um, and he just used to stop by because he used to be here late. He would, he used, he used to work um, across the road at the hospital clinically and then come and do his Dean things. But late at night, he just stopped by, whether it be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and he just talked to me like he'd just say, how are you doing? Um, he'd tell me some stories about him going through medical school. We'd share some stuff. And some of the best memories that I have, you know, because there was this guy just, uh, he was the dean of the medical school, but he decided that it was worthwhile spending 10 to 15 minutes at the end of this day when it was very late, when his family was waiting for him at home to just talk to me. And that was pretty cool. Human connection, showing, yeah. showing that you're a human being and making someone feel good. That is what you remembered. You probably yeah. can't remember the exact words, but you remember the feeling that that's what he what he elicited in you. How beautiful is that? That's a great man. Great man. How so you you managed to then complete your medical studies. And uh, that is in its own right, it is uh, for an able-bodied person, that is a hard slog. Um, you were already alluding to the to the complications medically. Was your was your health getting better, or was it an ongoing ongoing battle for the first few years? Well, it's been stable for a while. Nice. And at that time, it was fairly stable as well. Like there were a few few little bits and pieces that I needed yeah. to yeah. buy and out, but by and large, it was um, it was pretty good. So I, I was doing. I was doing okay. And um, yeah, so health, health was not so much, you know, but it's like more than medical school itself. It was like managing all the other things like um, wearing the, finding the right kind of shoes to wear and um, figuring out how to control my body temperature and whatever else. So it's really just things like that, but um, yeah. How did you then decide to become more outspoken? Was that something you fell into? Or was there a, a you know, how did it actually come about? And I mean, for me, I was in my, I got what? I got sober, dealt with my addiction, with my trauma about seven, eight years ago. The first five years, I sort of spoke individually to people, but certainly not as outspoken as I am today. And I know at, at some stage, there was there were little catalysts that pushed me forward. Um, yeah. What were these catalysts with you? How did you well, say? Hmm? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was um, how much difficulty I had getting my internship. And I realized that life for people with, I, I mean, 
I don't really feel disabled, right? Like I've, like I said, having gone through the other experiences in my life, I feel very, very uh, the opposite, actually. So, <laughs> but um, I, I realize that the life, life for people like that is not equitable. The world even sees their lives as less valuable sometimes. So we were talking about it yesterday at a uh, panel on voluntary assisted dying, and it's one of the risks like people see oh, you know, they have a disability, like how how would that, can this person's life be? Like it's, it, the world is a bit cold like that. And having experienced all these challenges, that's when I thought, man, I need to, I need to be a voice for this thing. Um, and I think I've, I've been given the right tools and the right privileges uh, in this world to be able to do that. So I thought... I'm going to go out and try and make the world a better place for people or do my part at least. And you do it by being a keynote speaker one event at a time, by uh, being out there and exposing your story to as many people as you can. And that is the powerful, powerful thing to do, to actually go out there and live your life to the fullest and show that and therefore destroy the myths and therefore destroy all, break the taboos and really talk openly. Yeah, okay, yes, wheelchair, yeah, so what's your point? Okay, um, and that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. You normalize things. You bring them out of the out of the darkness and, and out of the, the hiding. And uh, recently I, I, I had a, a guest who is a disability advocate and and she wrote in one of her posts that it will be an amazing thing in the united states when when the lockdowns stop and uh, people are coming across the street and there is someone in a wheelchair because on all the social media you don't see the wheelchairs you don't see anything no no everyone is nice and and you know all the crap all the facade and then suddenly real life hits you in the face and she was actually quite serious about it you are working regardless of lockdowns or whatsoever you are doing that in daily life you're showing that people with disability live normal lives and that they have got their passions and their 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 drive and all that and that is the beautiful thing so i think that is with you being a role model that is so much so much more important than anything you could imagine and it it you have no idea how many lives you touch by just telling your story and that is just wonderful dinesh i mean please do not stop and it's just it's it's more stories like that that we need to hear thank you stefan mm. i appreciate that. oh please and also I'm, i'm very grateful that that you focus so much on the depression because that that was more paralyzing than your spinal cord injury. That word or that that sentence is gold, okay? Because it is so true, it is so true. And there is, as I said, the chance of, of you having a depression in your life is one in three. Um, the, the, the chance of, of being addicted, chemical addiction, one in five, at least. Some people say one in three. So these kind of things are so common out there. It is normal that your life get 
challenged, that you hit walls, that you end up in scenarios which you really don't like. And it is for us to show that we have been there, some of us with scars in, in here, in there, everywhere on our body. Okay, and let's show that you can have a life that is so full of, of energy, full of beauty, full of joy, that, that honestly, that yesterday becomes jealous of today. That if we live a life like that, then we can give hope. And that is really what you're doing. You give hope. You're the merchant of hope, the lawyer of hope, or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and, oh, I love it. <laughs> so, and that's that's. Come on. So, if you can do that, you know, let's let's impact some others and let's show the empathy in our in our professions. And that is a beautiful thing to do. So, I I do that every day. I try to be. To, to model these kind of behaviors. I try to model conflict resolution um, by actually just literally talking and addressing things and not being uh, a hot-headed asshole, um, which probably in the past I was, and part of me still is. <laughs> Nowadays, I've learned my lessons that I rather cherish conflict resolution and 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 mitigation and and mediation and you know dealing with distressed people in a nice way and calm them down rather than going <laughs> so and that is our that is our our power that is your superpower because you have now that insight how it feels to be on the darkness you have the insight that's normal that's stress that's distress and you have lived it. It's not just, it's not just something you write in a textbook and that makes you a special man. And that is beautiful for that. I, I, I am grateful that there are, that are people like you out there who have then found their voice because whilst there are many, I've met actually quite a few people in my career, which were really great men and great women, but they were quiet. They just, practiced it but they didn't speak out now that might have had to do with the past that that we didn't speak out 20 years ago and that we didn't actually break the taboos that we didn't address the myths um that might have to do with that and maybe given the same people move them now into nowadays being young people they would have probably spoken out more um they didn't so i guess it's up to us to, to go out there and be honest, be truthful. And bloody hell, Dinesh, you were. So you did, you have achieved in the last few years, the last three, four years was really one achievement after the other. And not that you were, were yearning for it, but simply by being out there, people recognized what you were doing and thought, hey, this is really cool. What's really interesting for me now is what does the next year bring? What does the next two years bring? Where are you going from here? Man, I think about that all the time. <laughs> Life is good. And um, there are a bunch of things, actually. Like I love working as a doctor. Yeah. I love um, the privilege that I have of contributing to these conversations around 
inclusion and diversity and uh, making the world a more equitable place. Um, and spinal cord injury research, which is the big dream. So we have a project right here at Griffith where we're working on uh, therapies for paralysis. So that is, that's the big, big picture stuff. So we'll see. There's lots of, lots of fun things. <laughs> and I don't think that you're keeping the things too close to your chest. You just don't know what the future, what opportunities there are actually uh, coming your way. Um, and that's the beautiful thing. That's one more thing that that we get really good at. We are mindful of the moment and we appreciate opportunities for what they are. We get to experience another day. We get to make a choice hey, that sounds like a really good research project. Why don't we go for it? And it is this, this willingness to dream and then turn that dream into a vision and then turn that vision into a mission and actually go out there and, and do it. And that's, that's another, that's a flow-on effect of having seen the darkness. So uh, it's amazing. Well, Dinesh, I, I better book another uh, appointment with you in a year's time, uh, because no doubt, <laughs> I probably need a half an hour to read the accolades by then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll have to try now. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make sure you're impressed. Sure so. <laughs> you don't need to do much then, man. <laughs> Dinesh, the, the most impressing uh, thing about you is your, hum your humility and your integrity and that is beautiful so for that i thank you thank you for putting a, a human face to our profession which can sometimes be under duress under distress and sometimes yeah we doctors don't don't look after ourselves we we work 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 burnout work 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 burnout and and you are you're just there of of bringing the human side into that and that is a wonderful thing thank you so much for being a guest on my show today um i'm greatly honored i'm greatly humbled so thank you so much thanks for having me stefan it's been so nice to chat <laughs> cool and you guys out there come on there's is there is so much to live for however dark it is at the moment for you Whatever the reason is that you actually found my show and are listening or watching it, there is hope. Please trust us. There is hope. So don't give up. Don't give up. And maybe if you, if you can't see any way forward, make an appointment with your GP. Talk to, to a doctor. Talk, talk to someone you trust and who who maybe has been in the darkness themselves. Those people are out there. So whatever has happened to you, forget the shame, forget the guilt, forget all that crap. Just make that first step, pick up the phone, say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not right. Um, that is so, that's such a powerful first step. And I wish you all the energy and ah, that you can do it, okay? Look after yourself out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.